0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Commander's Forge. My name is Andy Bentley, and the forge is an area for me to talk about magic, commander, and anything else that I deem necessary. Now, it is the first week after going to Command Fest Indy, and man, have I been tired. Uh, there's been a lot of trying to recapture on some of the lack of sleep and to top it off, you know, just all of the anxiety and what's it leading up to the Command Fest. I'm just, I'm very tired. And uh, so it led to me not really doing a whole lot past just getting through work this week. Which, you know, is fine. But uh, it did kind of give me the chance of... When I wasn't trying to sleep, I just kind of wanted to sit and look at cards because I didn't have the energy for much else. But on my way back from Indy, I ended up stopping and buying a Sephiroth of the Hidden Ways commander deck. Because... I stopped somewhere, they had it on sale, and I thought it was a decent price. I only paid, like, 30 bucks for it. And so, throughout the week, I've been looking through it, and kind of realized it doesn't really do anything that I want it to do. So, yeah, I'm just in the process of, like, scrapping stuff out of that, and... ...adding stuff to it. So, like... uh, ...a bunch of the stuff... ...from the new commander set... ...that either ventures or... uh, ...you take the initiative. Uh, But originally the deck idea was... uh, ...Hama Pashar Ruinseeker. Uh, She's a 2-3 human wizard for 1, a white and a blue... And room abilities of dungeons you own trigger an additional time. Because for a while I was thinking with the idea of turning my mono-white Nadar dungeon deck into white-blue with Hama Pashar. But since uh, Sephiroth gives us the ability to have white-blue and black, I decided what I was kind of thinking to do for her to do here. Uh, Some of the new stuff that we got that kind of supports this is Dungeon Delver. It's one in a blue for a background. That says Commander Creatures you own have room abilities of dungeons you own trigger an additional time. Uh, Trailblazer's Torch is a four mana equipment. When it enters you take the initiative. Whenever the equipped creature becomes blocked it deals two damage to each creature blocking it. Equips for one. Ravenloft Adventurer is 3 and a black for a 3-4 human rogue assassin. When he enters, you take the initiative. If a creature an opponent controls would die, instead exile it, put a hit counter on it whenever Ravenloft Adventurer attacks. If you've completed a dungeon, the defending player loses one life for each card they own in exile with a hit counter on it. Underdark Explorer is 4 and a black for a 5-3 lizard warrior with Manache. When he enters, you take the initiative. Vicious Battle Rager is 3 and a black for a 1-5 Dwarf Barbarian. When he enters, you take the initiative. And he has Spiked Retribution, so whenever he becomes blocked by a creature, that creature's controller loses 5 life. Passageway Seer is 3 and a black for a 2-2 Tiefling Warlock with Lifelink. When it enters, you take the initiative. At the beginning of your end step, if you have the initiative, you put a counter on the Passageway Seer. Feywild caretaker is four in a blue for a three-four orc wizard. When it enters, you take the initiative at the beginning of your end step. If you have the initiative, you make a one-one fairy dragon creature token with flying. Uh, Tomb of Horror adventures five in a blue for a four-four elf monk. When it enters, you take the initiative. Whenever you cast your second spell each turn, copy it. If you've completed a dungeon, copy that spell twice instead. You may choose new targets for the copies. A copy of a permanent spell becomes a token. So, there's this whole initiative thing. On its own, I found very underwhelming in Baldur's Gate. But, then you kind of look at how you can well trigger the initiative multiple times like blade of selves to give equipped creatures myriad Uh, far traveler is another background for two and a white that says at the beginning of your end step exile up to one target tapped creature you control return it to the battlefield under its control Uh, og the exquisite blade is two a white and a blue for a two three human monk When he enters, you gain two life and scribe two. And whenever you cast your second spell each turn, exile up to one target creature you control, then return it to the battlefield under its owner's control. And yeah, then we just kind of slammed a bunch of the venture mechanic in here as well. So dungeon map, three for an artifact, taps for colorless, or you can pay three and tap it to venture into the dungeon as a sorcery. Uh, Clattering Skeletons is 3 and a black for a 4-3 that when it dies, you venture. Yan-Ti Fang Blade is 2 and a black for a 2-2 Snake Rogue with Death Touch. When it deals combat damage to a player, venture into the dungeon. Zombie Ogre, Occupation Zombie Ogre, is a 3-5 for 3-black-black black, Zombie Ogre. At the beginning of your Unstep, if a creature died this turn, venture into the dungeon precipitous drop is two and a black for an aura when it is about to fill you venture into the dungeon the equip creature gets plus two plus two it gets minus five minus five as long as you've completed a dungeon and yeah after that it's just kind of like very standard uh venturing stuff So I think I just kind of want to round this out with, like, Radiant Solar. Five and a white. Three, six. Flying Lifelink Angel. Whenever him or another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, you venture into the dungeon, or you can pay a white and discard him to venture into the dungeon and gain three life. Barwin of Clan Under is two white black for a three, three dwarf cleric. When it enters, you venture. And whenever they attack... Return up to one creature card with a value of three. Or that's from your graveyard to the battlefield if you've completed a dungeon. And... Midnight Pathlighter. One of the few cards that made it from the pre-con back into the deck. Two, white-blue for a 2-3 human wizard. Creatures you control can't be blocked except by legendary creatures. And whenever one or more creatures you control deal common damage to a player, venture into the dungeon. I honestly kind of like this for a few other decks but for now it's going in here and yeah so I've just kind of been relaxing and slowly building this deck over the last few days to just kind of relax and yeah when we come back we will be um, continuing on with our Uh, deck comparisons so I'll be right back hey I just want to take a minute to tell you about my patreon I know times are hard for everybody and I know it isn't easy to shuffle around bills and stuff believe me I know that but if you would like to help support the podcast and me You can find the links to my Patreon in my link tree, which is always put into the description of either the video or the audio, wherever you're listening to it. It would really mean the world to me. Honestly, I'm just struggling to make ends meet most weeks, but that's it. That's all. If you want to help, the links will be where you can find them. All right, and welcome back. We are continuing a small set of episodes that I've been doing comparing my deck list to the EDH Rex average deck list for some of my commander decks. And I've decided to mainly focus on monocolored uh, stuff. So I started with mono green with my Finn the Fangbear, and then I did white with Linden, and today I'm moving on to black with Karavik the Spiteful. So my whole premise with Karavik is to make it a Turbo Aristocrats deck. But, due to his ability, you kind of lose out on a few of the really good Aristocrats. So, like, Zulaport Cutthroat and Blood Artist are not in my deck because they only have one Toughness. So, with Karavac out, they just immediately die. And that's no bueno for the game plan. But, looking at the average CMC of my decklist it comes in at 3.79 and the EDH rack decklist comes in at 3.42. Now mana production in my deck I have 36 black mana sources and 22 colorless mana sources. Theirs has 44 black mana sources and 6 colorless sources. As far as mana pips go, we both have 87 black mana pips, but I have 152 where they have 135. Now, going into mana curve, uh, neither of our decklists have 0 drops, uh, and they both have 7 1 drops, but after there, it's very different. So going down the list on mine, I have 11 2-mana drops, 12 3-mana drops, 10 4, 10 at 5, 9 at 6, 3 at 7, none at 8, and 1 at 9. On their side, they have 15 2-drops, 13 3-drops, 12 at 4, 11 at 5, 6 at 6, 1 at 7, and then nothing at 8 or 9. Then going into our card type breakdown, I'm running 7 artifacts, they are running 10. I have 29 creatures, they have 25. I have 6 enchantments, they have 11. We both have 7 instants. I am running 37 lands, they are running 35. I have 4 planeswalkers in my list, they have 1. I have 9 sorceries, they have 10. We have a total of 25 cards in common. A few of those are, well, actually a lot of them are things that you would expect to find in a mono-black deck. You have your Arcane Signet, your Soul Ring, your Bantu's Monument, uh, Ayara, First of uh, Lockthwain, Crypt Ghast, Endrixar, Falconrath Noble, Gary... Harvester Souls, Masquer Worm, you know, just big black stuff. And, well, there's a reason I included it too, because it's some good black stuff. But, a few notable includes that I have that they don't. I am running Nyctos, Shrine to Nyx, Heartless Summoning, Volrath Stronghold, Snow Basics. Buried Alive, Diabolic Intent, and Rise of the Dark Realms. So, I decided to go with Snowlands because some of my quote-unquote ramp package kind of leans on my swamps tapping for multiple, while other people's swamps don't. So, yeah. I think the main difference here is that I built mine with the express intention of being a high mana value deck that does what an aristocrat's deck wants to do. And honestly, I'm very happy with my deck. It's done kind of what I set out with it to do. Uh yeah, that's kind of it. I don't really have a whole lot more to say about these that they're, they're very different. They share 25% of their list and that's insane, you know, that you can find similar commanders that are going to be built in so many different ways and that's kind of the point of doing this little series I'm doing. But all in all, the total cost for my deck through Architect is 1,236.04. And the total cost for the EDH rec deck through Architect is 40536. Which still seems like a lot. But I think the nice thing with these super cheap legendaries is you can kind of pick up the cheap stuff build a really similar deck and then just slowly upgrade to the stuff that you actually want in there like i understand not everybody has the money or the means to get a volrath stronghold i was just lucky enough to pick it up when it was only like ten dollars yeah i think that's gonna kind of be it i'm very quickly running out of energy. So I do believe I will see you next time. Thank you for listening. All of my links can be found in my link tree in the description below. I would like to thank Ian Foss and Cody Moppy of the band The Crypt for allowing me to use music for my opening and ending, along with Nate and Erica Jacobs for making my original logo. And I would also like to thank Christina... McNichol for creating my new logo. And I'll see you next time.